0: It's hard to believe that we have already begun our Lenten journey, yet here we find ourselves on the second Sunday of Lent. Over the years, I have discovered that people kind of have mixed feelings about the season of Lent. I've heard from some that they avoid services during Lent because they don't like the solemn mood of the music. Some of them don't like the preaching around Jesus' passion as we share about his life and his death. But for others, Lent is the time that they most want to be present. They appreciate the opportunity that this season gives them to journey with Jesus to the cross. They value the penitent nature of this season that focuses on repentance and on forgiveness. It wasn't until I was an adult that I really began to understand the spiritual value of this season. The season definitely presents an opportunity for us to draw closer to Christ. It invites us to really consider Jesus' journey to the cross. It encourages us to experience that journey right alongside of Jesus. It invites us to reflect on how Jesus experienced the events of his passion and on the purpose behind his passion and to grow in our understanding of all that Jesus offers us through the cross. And as Pastor David said last week, it encourages us to consider how we might live a cross-shaped life as we walk in the way that Jesus walked Last week, we began our Lenten journey with experiencing Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And we witnessed Jesus' ability to overcome that temptation because of his resolve to head for the cross. And this journey to the cross leads Jesus from the wilderness to Jerusalem And our scripture for today occurs at that point in the journey where Jesus is headed for Jerusalem. And he's becoming aware that the end is drawing near. In this passage, the Pharisees come to Jesus and tell him that he needed to flee because Herod was looking for him and he wanted to kill him. Now, we can't be too sure of the Pharisees' intent in saying this to Jesus. They could have been offering him a quite sincere warning to protect him from the threat that Herod posed. They also could have been trying to trick him to keep him out of Jerusalem. And it is true that Herod had imprisoned and killed John the Baptist, but that didn't necessarily mean that he was out to kill Jesus as well. But regardless of the Pharisees' intent or of Herod's, Jesus didn't let this opposition dissuade him. He wasn't worried about the threat that it posed. He says, go and tell that fox for me, (laughs) listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on until I finish my work. I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. In these words, Jesus was telling the Pharisees that he wasn't afraid, regardless of the opposition he encountered. He was going to keep doing what he was sent to do. He was going to keep overcoming the devil by casting out demons, and he was going to keep offering recovery through healing, because that was Jesus' work. Nothing was going to stand in the way of that. And Jesus was also telling them that nothing was going to stand in the way of him getting to that cross. The cross is where Jesus' journey was leading. It was the purpose that Jesus was sent for, the goal he was pressing on towards, and nothing was going to keep him from finishing his course and completing his mission. Jesus had great resolve that what was prophesied had come to true, that everything would happen according to how it was said to have happened. And he was telling the Pharisees that they weren't going to interfere with that plan. It was obvious that he really believed that no harm would come to him until the hour arrived. Jesus was headed for Jerusalem, and even though he knew he would be killed there, he would still go and die there. He would do this because he was the Messiah, and that's what the Messiah was sent to do. You see, Jesus' life, Jesus' mission, it reached its ultimate goal in death. Death was not only a part of the mission, it was actually the completion of it. And so in our passage for today, Jesus speaks about this place where he would go and where he would die he speaks about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was known as the holy city, the city of God. It was the home of God's chosen people where God had chosen to put his name. It was the place where God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel. How many times Had God sent prophets to her, calling that nation to repentance? How many times had Jerusalem rejected those prophets that were sent? The people of Jerusalem, they knew all about what the Messiah offered them. And because of that, if there was any city that should have welcomed Jesus, it was this one. And now God was sending their promised Messiah, and they would reject him just like they rejected all of the other prophets that God sent their way. So Jerusalem becomes the center of Jesus's struggle in this story. It becomes the place where his passion culminates and reaches its end. It's end. It was the place where Jesus would go to die. It's easy to see that the place that Jerusalem had in Jesus's ministry, even though it was a necessary Part of the plan was still a tragic one. And at this point in the story, we see the mood in our passage shift from one of confident resolve in the purposes of God to sorrowful grief about where and about how it would all play out. It becomes obvious that Jesus felt the sting of Jerusalem's rejection, that Jesus was saddened by Jerusalem's participation in the events of his passion. And this sadness was a sort of suffering that had really left him brokenhearted. And even though he knew that he was supposed to die there, he didn't know how it was going to feel to die there. This passage really reveals Jesus' heart for the people of Jerusalem as it says how often... Have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. I love this image of a hen gathering her brood. It reminds us that Jerusalem represented God's chosen people and God loved them. He longed to protect them. He longed to take them under the shadow of his wing, just like a mother hen protects her children. And yet these chosen people didn't want to have anything to do with that protection. They didn't want to have anything to do with that love. They didn't believe it. They rejected it, and they rejected the one who offered it. And in that rejection, all of the hopes and dreams that any parent has for their child crushed. Jesus loved those chosen people like brothers and sisters, and he wanted to gather them to himself, too. He wanted to take them under the shadow of his wings. He had the same heart for them that the Father did. He had the same desire for them, and he had the answer for them, too. They had been told about it time and time again. And so Jesus wanted them to choose Jesus wanted them to be confident in what he offered them he wanted to save them ensuring their place in God's kingdom he wanted to protect that covenant that God had made with them he wanted to preserve their relationship so they could be together forever but they were not willing they said no thank you Jesus we don't need a savior and it broke Jesus' heart that they were not willing, that they would rather go their own way, that they would rather be left to their own devices. It broke his heart that they wanted to choose their own destiny and their own fate. It broke his heart that they tossed this covenant relationship aside like it didn't even matter. And not only did they reject what he offered them, they rejected him. Instead of accepting the abundant life that he offered, their end would be destruction and the knowledge of that destruction really agonized Jesus. And so this passage becomes one of lament for the people of Jerusalem. Now we know that Jerusalem was often used as a symbol for the entire nation of Israel and sometimes as a symbol for the whole people of God. And so This passage is really the place where we experience Jesus' lament, where we experience Jesus' brokenheartedness for the people who won't choose him. It's the place where Jesus not only suffers their rejection, but it's also the place where he grieves the loss of that relationship because they won't have a place in his kingdom. It's where Jesus expresses sorrow about how their lives will end and we feel the weight of Jesus's grief as we encounter him as a man of sorrows. I was reminded as I was studying the passage for this week that Jesus was referred to in Scripture by this title, a man of of sorrows. And the title comes from a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53. And that prophecy tells of everything that would happen to Jesus. It lays it out so poignantly. It speaks about the pain and the suffering and the sorrow that Jesus would experience. It tells that he would be despised, that he would be rejected, that he would be a man of suffering who is familiar with pain and that he would take up that pain and bear that suffering for you and for me. It reminds us that he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities as he took our punishment upon himself. And it reminds us that even with all that Jesus did for us, even in light of the great gift that he offered us, that some won't choose him. Some would rather go their own way. Some would rather be left to their own devices. Some would rather choose their own destiny, and this has to be the place of Jesus's deepest sorrow. He has to feel the weight of that choice that some make not to go his way, especially when he's offered them everything. Jesus desired salvation for Jerusalem, for the nation of Israel, for you and for me, and the pain that he endured, the suffering and the shame, he took it all on for us. It was the only way that his goal was going to be reached and his mission would be accomplished. We had sins that we needed atoning for. That death was hanging over our heads too, and we couldn't fix it on our own, but Jesus could, and he did. And the blood that he shed on the cross is what paid our debt. It's what took the sting out of death for us. So how could we be offered this great gift and still reject it? How could we say, no, thank you, Jesus. I don't think that I need a Savior. How could we say no to grace, no to forgiveness, no to salvation? How could we be so unbelieving? and so unaware of our need for Jesus, how could we be so foolish? How could we be so blind that we wouldn't see the hope and the new life that he offers us? Offering all of this and then having it be rejected, that has to be the place of Jesus' deepest sorrow. And so our passage for today really does invite us to journey alongside of Jesus in the midst of that sorrow. It invites us to experience what he experienced. We experience the confidence and conviction that we saw in the beginning of our passage about his mission, about what he was sent here to accomplish as he was headed for the cross And we anticipate the events of his passion as we join in his journey. We anticipate that suffering and that sorrow and that death. And we empathize with Jesus over the loss of his people in Jerusalem. We experience his sadness and disappointment, his rejection and betrayal, his deep sense of grief and brokenheartedness. We share in Jesus's suffering. We join in his lament. All that Jesus wanted was to love his people, to commit to them, to protect them, to preserve the relationship that they had, but they rejected it. They chose destruction and demise when all he wanted to do was to give them hope of a new life. And so our passage encourages us not to take on that same tragic role that the people of Jerusalem did, not to repeat history, not to fail to recognize the gift that Jesus offers us. It invites us to make a different decision than God's chosen people did, not to go our own way, not to be left to our own devices, not to choose our own destiny. It invites us not to reject, Jesus' offer of hope through new life, to say yes to Jesus, to be willing to follow him, choosing to follow Jesus. That's how we walk the path that Jesus walked. It's how we journey with him to the cross. It's how we lived that cross-shaped life. And on the days when walking that road feels difficult, This passage invites us to remember that you don't walk the road alone. Jesus walks it with you. And just as you experience the full weight of his emotions, he also experiences the full weight of yours, this man who was so familiar with pain, so acquainted with grief, this man of sorrows, he suffers right alongside of us. Just as you have shared in his lament, he shares in yours, too. That's how this relationship really works. It isn't transactional. It is continual. Jesus' is commitment to you, it goes way beyond that moment where you said yes to him. It goes way beyond the moment of your salvation. It isn't temporary. It is long-lasting. It lasts forever. The way that Jesus felt about those people in in Jerusalem, that's the way he feels about me. That's the way that he feels about you. And Jesus wants to keep loving you. He wants to keep protecting you, to keep that preserving that relationship with you, just like that mother hen wants to keep her brood very close. Jesus wants to take on your pain, to bear your grief and sorrow. He cares about your brokenheartedness. He cares about your bitterness and your anger, your disappointment and your sorrow. He understands your pain, and he doesn't expect you to push through it. He doesn't expect you to sweep it under the carpet, to solve it, or to wrap it up with a pretty little bow. He expects you to feel it. And he feels it right alongside of you, just as you have been invited to share in the fellowship of his suffering. He shares in the fellowship of yours. And that is the gift that we have from this man of sorrows. And it is a gift that makes all the difference for us. In fact, it gives us everything that we ever needed from a Savior. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.